Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Okay, we are live, but we got to let the stream breathe just for a couple of seconds. We got to make sure we've got our awesome Facebook community on board with us here get the green check marks we're looking for and we're good welcome in everybody to the huddle up podcast presented as always by mile high huddle powered by overtime media i'm your host chad jensen with me as always my partner in crime my fellow football priest you know him you love him he is zach kelberman zach i thought it was interesting that after and what kind of added to the intrigue of this particular storyline was the fact of mike cliss's tweet heading into halftime but Vic Fangio claims today that the thought of benching Drew Locke literally never crossed his mind. Now, that could be some coach speak there in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. simplifying it, oversimplifying it. I, I'm, I'm sure it at least crossed his mind, like the thought at some point. But what was your reaction to hearing that? Well, it contradicts what Mike Kliss reported. And, and say what you want about Mike Kliss, but his information is usually spot on. So if he had word that the Broncos were considering benching uh, Drew Locke, mid-game, there's some validity to that, I feel. It's, and I don't know for sure, I, I want to believe Fangio, but if they would have lost that game, would he have still said he wasn't considering it? I feel like he would have done that through the media to challenge Drew Locke if they would have lost that game. You know, winning cures all. Winning cures the speculation. Winning cures the rumors and all that. So it's um it's not worth harping on, I feel like, but he made the right call. You don't give up on a quarterback after one half, even after coming off a bad game. You ride it out with him. You trust the process. And more importantly, you open up the offense in the second half of the game. You come out looking like a much different team, and you saw the results. So Fangio, if it it, it is truthful that he stuck with him, if it was his call and he didn't bench him, he made the right choice. And I hope he learned a lesson from that. And I hope Broncos country takes a lesson from that. It's a process, and you have to trust it half in and half out, game in and game out. That's the key. I mean, I understand in today's day and age in which, and we talked about this in the gut reaction, though, 
in which NFL quarterbacks are coming straight out of the box to the field and just putting up prolific numbers. Um, you know, Joe Burrow is a good example of that this year as a rookie. Justin Herbert has put up great numbers, although, you know, his defense and his, his coaching has let him down. There are other examples. I understand why fans are thus impatient and why, you know, you have to resist as a fan the impulse to get too consumed with quarterback envy. But this game was quintessential case in point, harsh reminder that it is, as Zach said, a process and you got to trust it. And honestly, especially for a quarterback who's yet to play in 16 full games. I mean, in in essence, Drew Locke is still in that rookie uh, learning curve, so to speak. You got to give him his chance. Like if he he can stink it up for two quarters, he can stink it up for three quarters or not play at a high level. But if he turns it around late in the game, you got to, you got to view each game within a full 60 minute uh, scope or body of work. And I think that's why, you know, that's, that's really gets you closer in terms of the thinking of how the Broncos view this. They were panicked. Obviously they were not happy. They weren't satisfied with how Locke was playing. And I want to talk also while we're here, we'll, we'll get to this about Drew Locke's kind of emotional uh, speech during halftime, but Vic Fangio uh, stuck to his guns, unflinchingly stood behind his young quarterback, took the fiery dart, so to speak. And it ended up paying dividends for him, his young QB and the team. In terms of the Drew Locke sect of Broncos country that's not on board yet, it, it, it's psychology and human nature. You know how, uh, Chad, you hear your, your own voice being played back and you're harsher on yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're harsher on yourself than another person would, would judge you. That's how Broncos country is with Drew Locke because he's their quarterback. They look at him with a sharper eye. If the Broncos fans saw Drew Locke play for another team. If he played for the Cardinals and they saw yesterday's game, they saw that fourth quarter, they would be blown the hell away. They'd be saying, I want that quarterback on my team. Well, guess what, guys? You have them. And you're going to see more ugly football like you saw in Kansas City, and you're going to see more great football like you saw in the second half against the Chargers yesterday. That is what Chad and I have been warning even before the season started. Months now, it's going to be a roller coaster. You're going to hit the peaks and the valleys. The Chiefs game was a valley. Yesterday's game was definitely a peak, and it's going to be like this going forward. You have to enjoy the ride and trust the process. I was listening to a little uh, Denver radio. I was listening to the drive on the way, uh, well, just today while I was driving around, uh, this afternoon, in fact, rowing my kids around a little bit, and I popped in on a part of their conversation between Darren McKee and, um, and oh, oh my gosh, I just brain farted his name. I can't believe I did that. The right tackle. What's his name? Super Bowl 50. Columbus. Thank you, Tyler Columbus, Judas Priest. Anyway, I popped in and they were talking, and I think uh, DMAC posed the question to him, hey, would you rather have the Drew Locke performance of of yesterday on Sunday and it results in a win, or would you rather have the Justin Herbert performance, which was a lot more even from you know start to finish, and the loss? And I couldn't believe it that Columbus was like, Oh, yeah, I'd rather have the I'd rather have the Herbert performance. I'm like, no, nah, it comes down to the dub. <laughs> who got the win. And I love Tyler Columbus. And I apologize for having the brain fart on his name, but he's, he's great. He does a great job. That show is crushing it right now for the fan. They've got the largest market share they've ever had. And that's an, an award winning uh, show there for the fans. So I've got nothing but respect for, for Tyler. And he's always been kind and supportive of MHH, but that particular take Zach, I just can't agree with it. Like when you're comparing purely based on, quarterback play to quarterback play. Yeah. I can understand why you could say, yeah, I'd prefer to have, you know, the uh, even performance of Justin Herbert over the little bit more up and down of, of Drew Locke. But when the final result is the difference between a win and a loss, 
what are you talking about? This is the NFL. You got to win. That's why they have the largest market share, though, because they have those hot takes, Chad, and they, they wrote people in by saying that. And and just it worked because we're talking about it right now. It, he's entitled to his opinion, Tyler Columbus. You think a world champion who's been an NFL, who was an NFL veteran for many years, would know that nothing beats a victory. Winning by one is better than you know losing by by 50. It, it doesn't even make sense to take a better statistical standpoint over a quarterback who got the victory. And this is the sect of Broncos country. They look at the stats. They watch the box score. It's the same sect of Broncos country in the Patriots game lamenting Drew Locke's performance when if you watch the game with your eyes and you understood football, you'd realize it should have been a lot better. There was three or four drop touchdown passes. I don't want Herbert, and I would say that even if the Broncos would have lost yesterday's game, they would have it came up short in the goal line. I'm rolling with Drew Locke. He's entitled to his opinion. I just think Locke is the right quarterback for this team, and he knows how to win, Chad. He comes up clutch. Say what you want about the Kansas City game, but when he bounces back after a loss and he always rallies, what he did in the fourth quarter yesterday is not a rookie quarterback. That was a guy who was growing up in front of our very eyes. That was a guy who matured from half one to half two. And that's why you have to roll with that and believe in who you have under center. Not Trevor Lawrence, not Justin Herbert, not Fields. You have Drew Locke. It's time to get behind him. Well said, my friend. There is so much more <clears throat> that we are going to get to tonight as we sift through the aftermath of Broncos Chargers. We'll get to some winners, some losers. I want to get everybody's take on Drew Locke's kind of emotional galvanizing speech to the offense during halftime and also the environment in which he had to kind of deliver that speech with players yelling and and fighting and people pointing fingers, understandably so. We're going to get to all that. But first, gang, we do have to take care, excuse me, of a few matters of business. Yes, Broncos country. Tonight's live stream podcast is brought to you by sportsbetting.com. Gambling is now legal in the state of Colorado, and here's what makes sportsbetting.com a no-brainer for sports fans. Guys, first of all, sharp odds and low juice. They have in-house bookmakers, in-house guys. They're not a third-party provider of odds. Reduced juice and best prices. Also, hassle-free bonuses, a one-time rollover. That means the bonus money is yours after you bet it one time, whereas other sites range from five to 30 times. Finally, 24-7 live customer support. You are always, when you contact them, getting a real person on the line. Not a bot, a real person. But here's the kick up, Broncos fans. At sportsbetting.com, you get a 100% risk-free week of sports betting up to $1,000. Not just one bet, but all of your bets. Play for a week, and if your losses exceed your winnings at the end of the week, sportsbetting.com will cover 100% of the difference up to $1,000 with a one-time rollover. So head on over to sportsbetting.com slash milehighhuddle. That's sportsbetting.com slash milehighhuddle and capitalize on a risk-free week of sports betting up to $1,000. There you go, gang. That's uh, some money there for the taking, and we tip our cap to sports betting. .com. All right, quickly, matters of business, make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter, this show, MHH, especially on YouTube, especially on Facebook, and you know on the site, milehighhuddle.com, we had our second biggest month ever in October, so credit to all of you. Thanks so much for your support, but as we continue to grow, we want to make sure you know how to connect with us on social media. Follow the pod on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, also the main account, at milehighhuddle, and as you can see on the screen here, my partner, Zach Kelberman, at KelbermanNFL. And myself at Chad and Jensen, and uh, as well, guys, we want to draw your attention very gently to the merch store. 
head on over to huddleuppod.com if you're in a position to. Get your swag on. Get yourself a football priest hat. As you can see, Zach's rocking the MHH hoodie. There's the face mask. There is the mug. There's the great T-shirt that was designed by Christy and also another superstar design T-shirt from Zachary Smouse. A little something for everybody. It's another way that you can support what we're doing here. And uh, also, really quickly, if you're on Facebook, this is another part or aspect of our community that is just growing exponentially. If you'd like to become an official supporter, just go to our main page, facebook.com slash milehighhuddle. You'll see the big blue button, become a supporter. You're in like Flynn. It's another way to support what we are doing here at MHH. And we have some really bold and exciting plans coming down the pike for our Facebook supporters. And you know what, gang? If you're not in a position to support uh, the merch store, become a supporter, or be a Super Chat superstar, it's all good. We are just glad to have you in this stream with us. We appreciate you being here with us, or if you're listening after the fact, what we do ask is that you do these three things. Subscribe first and foremost, like this video, like this episode. And if you think Zach and I are doing a good job for you, share this out there. Help us continue to grow, reach new like-minded Broncos fans just like you. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Broncos country, listen up. Coors Hard Seltzer, it's not your average seltzer because rooted in Coors' long history of sustainability is a brand inspired by a generation that wants to do good in the world with a mission to restore America's rivers. It used to be if you wanted to make an impact, you wanted to make a difference in the world, you'd have to get off your butt, you'd have to go out there and do something. With Coors Hard Seltzer, they're making it all the easier to make that impact. And the way they're doing it is by launching the world's easiest volunteer program, Whatever you're doing, by simply cracking open a can of Coors Hard Seltzer, you're volunteering because our waterways are at risk. 80% of America's rivers are drying up. But through a partnership with Change the Course, Coors Hard Seltzer is helping to protect and restore America's rivers. Each 12-pack of Coors Hard Seltzer, this is how it works, restores 500 gallons of fresh water to U.S. rivers and the communities that depend on them. And the way it shakes out is 1 billion gallons of water restored to 16 river basins across the U.S., including the Colorado River. And that's just year one. Plus, with Coors Hard Seltzer, you get four refreshing flavors, one cool cause. Enjoy naturally flavored black cherry, mango, lemon lime, and grapefruit. And the specs are in, gang. Coors Hard Seltzer is 4.5% ABV and only 90 calories. Chad, I know for a fact, watching that Broncos-Chargers game in the first half, I needed a few Coors Hard Seltzers to get me by. But after that wild comeback victory, I'm celebrating with my Coors Hard Seltzer in the best possible occasion. So, gang, join the world's easiest volunteer program by simply drinking Coors Hard Seltzer. 
You can volunteer to restore America's rivers. You buy Coors Heart Seltzer. You help restore 500 gallons of water into America's rivers. It is that simple. So visit CoorsSeltzer.com to find a Coors Hard Seltzer near you. That's CoorsSeltzer.com. For every 12-pack sold through 831-2021, Coors will purchase services from Change the Course to restore 500 gallons of fresh river water. Details at CoorsSeltzer.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas. All right, Zach, before we dive into a few of the main topics from tonight, I want to grab a few super chats that have stacked up. Appreciate our superstars like Tom up there north of the 49th parallel. Appreciate you, you, my friend. He says, fun facts, 2019 NFL Combine. Category, ball speed. Drew Locke, 54 miles per hour. Um, Brett Rippon, what is that? I'm not sure what that means. I have L, no idea. L53. Uh, Brett Rippon, 59. Shocked, guys? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not the first time, by the way. Thanks, Tom. That's not the first time I've heard the uh, argument that, um, you know, Brett Rippon actually has a stronger arm than Drew Locke. But have you watched the tape? All right. And I'll let Eric Trickle explain this at some point. You can ask him about it on Dove Valley Deep Divers or hit him up on Twitter at Eric Trickle. But there is a big difference between ball speed and, uh, or, you know, throwing it in a straight line and actual in-game velocity. Right. All you got to do, guys, is turn on the tape. Like Brett Rippon, his attributes jump off the screen, and that is cognition, football acumen, pre-snap, reading the field, all that stuff, making the right reads. But he's got to throw into the future. He's got to throw – with accuracy and he's got to throw with anticipation because he lacks that juice, right? That oomph in, in a real game. And, you know, again, it's great that he had a, a better velocity at, uh, or MPH, as you would say there, Tom, at, at the combine, but it just doesn't translate to the tapes that. Whereas Drew Locke's arm just pops on yes. film. Every throw, you just see the velocity. You see the vapor trails. And you're absolutely right. There's a difference between throwing as hard as you can and throwing with accuracy and also anticipation. Locke doesn't have to throw his receivers open. He can rifle the ball in there. And he just can do things that Brett Rippon can't. And I'll say this, guys. I'm a R- Brett Rippon fan as a quarterback, too, as a backup. He would not have won yesterday's game. I'm sorry, that Drew Locke and his arm talent and his intangibles and his mental fortitude, that's what helped the Broncos spring that upset. Brett Rippon couldn't have done that. I like him a lot. He's just not physically Drew Locke, nor will he ever be. And I don't want to take anything away from him. Like Zach said, we do like Brett, and he does present a lot of value and underappreciated value in terms of you know being that Band-Aid, that backup, that stopgap that can truly step in at a moment's notice and keep the ship afloat. But Drew Locke, it, you saw in the fourth quarter, when he minds his technique and his his fundamentals and his platform and his footwork, and he plants and drives, velocity on that ball, I mean, there are a few quarterbacks in the league who can put more juice on it than Drew Locke in a live game. And you, you see that if you turn on the tape. Uh, Stu, meet, jumping in, one of our superstars, and he's providing us here a super sticker. So thank you, my friend. Really appreciate it. He says, anxiety levels was or sky high for the first three quarters for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this on the gut reaction yesterday, Zach, but it was especially getting into the crunch time when the chips were down and, and you realized, goodness gracious, the Broncos have a chance here. It was the first time in a while that I could remember really feeling that that adrenaline of just that anxiety, you know, the butterflies wondering, well, how is this going to shake out, feeling invested in the outcome? I just remember how I felt yesterday, literally on the edge of my seat. We were all puckered. 
Chad, every single person in Broncos country out there. And it was nice to unpucker, and the Broncos had a victory as opposed to a, a defeating loss. So a very exciting game, very mentally exhausting game for three quarters going into the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm happy the Broncos pulled it out, though. I, I'm so happy being mentally exhausted after a win as opposed to a loss. It's a really nice feeling. Yes, indeed. And that's, again, getting back to the idea of would you rather have Justin uh, Herbert's performance in a loss or Drew Locke's in a win? Give me the win and Drew Locke right now. And again, that's not to diminish Justin Herbert, but, you know, and and I don't mean to be the, um, you know, I don't mean to be adversarial. Even a lot of the analysts at MHH, you know, they're much more favor uh, Justin Herbert over Drew Locke at this point. And I understand why in terms of overall consistency of play. You know, he's a first-round pick, number six overall. But at this point there, I haven't seen anything definitive that would make me say, yeah, Justin Herbert over Drew Locke. And in their first head-to-head matchup, Zach, Justin Herbert had Drew Locke dead to rights, but it was Locke that emerged victorious. First of all, the most important stat to me on the stat sheet is not touchdown passes, completions, yards, anything like that. It's victories. And yeah. Justin Herbert has one victory. Drew Locke has many more than that. I will take the guy who comes back in the fourth quarter and gets the win. Might not be pretty, and most times it'll be ugly, but a win is a win is a win in the NFL. And I'm always taking the winning players on my team. I don't know. Did we grab the DH3 one, John, that you wanted to talk about at 601? My stream jumped it, so I can't grab it. You might have flashed it, but I might have been looking elsewhere. But either way, uh, here he is, DH3. How good did that win feel yesterday? Not going to lie. After the Chargers came out and scored in the second half and we stalled, I lost all hope. And, Zach, it's interesting. Thank you for the question and for being with us here, DH3. But, Zach, it's interesting because when the Denver Broncos came out in the second half and Drew – so, as he mentions there, Herbert scores, touchdown, extends the lead. Drew Lock comes out. They punt again. At that point, the Chargers had more than 20 first downs in the game, a three-score lead. The Broncos had more three and outs than they did first downs. They had only achieved two first downs up to that point in the game. It did not feel like there was a snowball's chance in H-E double hockey sticks that this was even going to come close to being a game. And I think if you really try to deconstruct how it all happened, right, really boil it down, there were a few pivotal moments, especially in the third quarter. One, and this was something Vic Fangio talked about today, and, of course, you know he studied the film. He was there on the sideline. He studied the film after the fact as well already. And he talked about the third and eight conversion, uh, Drew Locke to Deshaun Hamilton that kept the chains going, that allowed Philip Lindsay two plays later to bust off that 55-yarder. That's when you first saw Drew Locke make a throw in that game where you're like, yeah, okay, all right, that's what we want to see. Bryce Callahan's interception to save the uh, interception from Drew Locke that would have turned into at least three points. He stopped a touchdown and and – you know, gave the Broncos back the ball. They would then go on and score that first passing touchdown at Drew Locke. Those were the pivotal moments. And then I would also throw in, Zach, that third and 16 strike to Jerry Judy. It was a 43 game. And if you go back and watch that game, Zach, Jerry Judy and Drew Locke had had a little, you know, Jerry Judy got up kind of pissed off at Drew Locke a couple plays. It might even been the play prior. I can't remember exactly one or two plays prior and was kind of John at him, like getting after him, like, come on, dude, deliver me the freaking ball. He was getting frustrated. And Drew Locke just dropped a dime on him, 16, third and 16, they go 43 yards. There are a few pivotal plays and you got to credit the offense for coming together and believing. And I think that Philip Lindsay run though, was really the juke that made them believe we got a chance. 
I credit the entire offensive operation in the second half of the game. That includes the play calling, that includes the quarterbacking, that includes the receiving, the running backs, even Melvin Gordon. Everyone pulled their own weight in the second half. And you combine that with what the defense can do, and there's no coincidence, it results in a victory. You mentioned the Jerry Judy pass, Chad. One characteristic about that pass, he hit Jerry Judy in stride, allowed Judy to keep running and using his feet to make yards after the catch. It was in the middle of the field. It was a high percentage play call. Where was that the last five weeks? I want to see much more than that because it's just a glimpse of what this duo can do. And maybe that was the icebreaker. Maybe the the switch flipped for good, and now they'll be consistent going forward. The question said, though, how encouraging was the win? For three quarters, it wasn't encouraging. For the first half, I was not questioning Drew Locke, but starting to see maybe his faults were a little irredeemable. He redeemed himself in the second half. He rose up and met the challenge, and like the word Chad always uses, metal. He has that in spades. He has the fortitude in spades, the intangibles, the arm talent. So it was ugly. It's not always going to be pretty, but I'd rather an ugly win over a pretty loss any day of the week. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Last spring, you chose hard-working seed, but did it work as hard as you did? At NK Seeds, we know that all the time, all the effort comes down to this. All that matters now is yield and how the seed performed on your acre. Because you can't fake performance. And bushels don't lie. Local results coming soon. Visit nkseeds.com slash harvest. Mike Evans, appreciate you, my friend, Bonafide Superstar. He says, what do you think Pat Shermer will take away from yesterday's game and what will be different? Appreciate y'all. So, Mike, I haven't had a chance to rewatch this game with the coaches film. I don't even think it's out quite yet. Usually it's Tuesdays, although they have been getting the coaches film out a little bit earlier this year. So, But nevertheless, just upon the one and a half times of you in the game, in the second half especially, what I would say is a few takeaways, Zach. One, you got to feed Philip Lindsay, all right? You got to dispense with holding on to this idea that we paid Melvin Gordon, so thus we need to, you know, give him a lion's share of the touches. The proof's in the pudding. I mean, Melvin Gordon averaged 3.25 yards on the ground yesterday in what was supposed to be his revenge game against the Chargers. Meanwhile, Phil averaged almost 14. He only carried the ball six times, okay? So the message there is we have to make it a point of emphasis, Zach, to get Philip Lindsay more involved in this offense early on and try and help get him in a rhythm. And I understand the counterpoint to that as well. You know, you do want to keep Gordon involved early as well because he kind of ha- he doesn't hit the hole anywhere near as quickly and as, as explosive as Philip Lindsay. And so the defense starts getting lulled into its own little rhythm, starts sleeping a little, then you put Lindsay in, and the pop and the difference is so striking that it catches them off uh, balance. And there's some truth to that. But obviously, Zach, you got to feed Philip Lindsay more than two carries or whatever it was, maybe one in the first half. And then the other thing is tempo. All right, tempo, yes. tempo, tempo. I do think, and we talked about this during the halftime stream, that obviously 
Shermer had emphasized in the in the uh, coaching side of things leading up to this game that Locke needed to take what the defense was giving him. You saw a lot more of the underneath stuff early in the game, and those same he you saw a lot of the same stuff in the second half. But Drew Locke started minding his technique. He he started trusting his protection. He stood in the pocket, delivered the throw, and when he set his feet, it was always a dime. It was always a completion. And so I think tempo Zach continuing to emphasize take what the defense gives you. I mean, how many shots did they really take yesterday? I can think of two off the top of my head. Both were incomplete. One was a pick. Maybe there was one more. I don't I don't recall. But those are two things that come to mind immediately off one and a half viewing is Philip Lindsay, get him the ball more and use tempo to get Drew Locke into a rhythm quickly. You need to get him going earlier than you did yesterday. In terms of Philip Lindsay, let me just throw a stat out there because I agree with you a thousand percent here. He had more yards on one carry, his 27 yard scamper, than Melvin Gordon had the entire game on eight carries. Eight carries, 26 yards, Melvin Gordon. That's what the Broncos are paying eight billion dollars for. Philip Lindsay is the Broncos RB1. They need to not only feed him, but pay him. That's another story though. To answer the question more directly, what Chad said, nailed it there. Get Locke in a rhythm, play with tempo, play with pace, no huddle. But what I saw with Drew Locke compared to the first half, he was not thinking out there. He was just playing. He he wasn't thinking and overthinking. He wasn't locked in his own mind. That is one criticism, Chad, you and I both had about Paxton Lynch. He was constantly locked in his own mental space, and he wasn't playing loose. He was thinking about it. And when you think about something, like guys, right now, think about breathing you will start to realize that you're breathing and it becomes a a physical sensation. It's the same thing when you're playing quarterback. If you're thinking about, oh, this ball has to be accurate, you're going to throw an inaccurate pass. He needs to just cut it loose out there. It's the type of quarterback that he is. And one comment I got on Twitter, I can't remember who exactly said it. It was like Pat Shermer was playing in a different system than his quarterback was necessary for. It was like playing Case Keenum when you had Kyler Murray. And finally yesterday, you saw Pat Shermer play with Drew Locke letting him high percentage passes, crossers, getting the ball quickly, rolling him out of the pocket, some play design creativity. It was a completely different team. And it starts with the coaching, the play calling, and everything else trickles down there. That's what I noticed yesterday. you got to keep him in rhythm. you got to keep him confident. It's everything we said going into this game. Get the ball into his playmaker's hands and let them do the rest. And that kind of ties into Larry here, Broncos fan number 24 on YouTube, longtime <clears throat> listener of the show and a bona fide superstar. Much love to you, Larry. Appreciate you, dog. Thank you. He says, the most frustrating thing about watching the game is Shermer's inability to coach to Locke's best traits. Incorporate the system to his strength. Don't make your QB adapt to your system. And, Zach, I yes. think part of that, and that's so true, Larry, you're 100% right on the money there. And I think – Part of that is just simply due to the lack of reps, you know, and the fact that Drew Locke got hurt in week two, it really did interrupt Shermer's ability to figure out what works best with Drew Locke's traits, to be honest with you, because the offseason, they lost out on, what was it, 1,400 reps this year because of the way the offseason shook out because of the pandemic. So, you know, and you say, well, Justin Herbert lost out on those same reps and look what he's doing. And there's truth to that. But in terms of this unique situation with Pat Shermer and Drew Locke, what what intensified that obstacle, Zach, is the injury. And then Pat Shermer had to go figure out how to make things work with Driscoll. Then he had to make things figure out, uh, you know, Brett Rippon. And then he goes back to Locke. And so now that they're starting to get more time on task together, I think you will start seeing things playing more to Drew Locke's strength and, and allowing him to be comfortable. And, you know, one example of that, you mentioned the rollouts. That final play, the touchdown to K.J. Hamler, was a phenomenal play design. Yes. It really yes. was because 
you had some uh, pre-snap motion, and this is something Eric Trickle hammered on last week in an article that Pat Shermer has to start utilizing more pre-snap motion, and there are multiple reasons why. But in this case, you get Albert O motioning a little bit on the right side. K.J. Hamler crosses the formation at the snap, and you get Drew Locke rolling right with three different route concepts all bending toward that corner of the end zone, and it just worked. You know, it was it played to Drew's strengths to kind of improvise out on the boundary, right. let his athleticism and his instinct prevail, and then it also, you know, flooded the zone and, and it threw the Chargers off, off of, uh, you know, their, put them on their heels, so to speak, and we just need to see more of that moving forward, Zach. That play was exemplifying the type of game Locke likes to play, and that's backyard football. It was his improbability and buying time that made that touchdown pass possible. He he deked and he juked and he and he scrambled out to the side and he waited for KJ Hamler to break open and he threw a perfect pass to him. But in terms of the question and, and Shermer and Locke and the system, think back to 2017. What is a contributing factor to why the Broncos fired Mike McCoy? His playbook was not conducive to learning for Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon, the quarterbacks at the time. You have to adapt to your quarterback. You can't make the quarterback adapt to the system. And in, until the second half of yesterday's game, that was my biggest gripe. You hit the nail on the head with this question. My biggest gripe about Pat Shermer. He was making Locke into something he wasn't. When he finally cut Locke loose yesterday and called place to his ability, you saw the result. I can only pray we see more of that going forward. Now, I think one th- and I think a lot of you have seen the video on YouTube and a lot of you have seen the video at milehuddle.com that illustrated because when we went live at um, following the game during the gut reaction, we missed you know, this is what we have to miss that stuff in order to come live immediately following the game. But we missed the post game stuff with Fangio and Locke and everybody else. So we come to that after the fact and we got the video up. And you guys, I'm sure most of you have seen it by this point. But for those of you who missed it, Zach, Drew Locke kind of led us inside the drama that unfolded in the Broncos locker room yesterday at the half. And of course, to kind of set the stage, and I'm going to take Zach and I off the screen just for a second so everyone can read along here. But just to uh, set the stage here, the Broncos were booed going off the field, right? Three points, two first downs. And obviously you wonder, you worry about um, confidence and infighting. And it was confirmed by Drew Locke that there, yes, there was yelling, there was screaming. And here's what he said. He ended up kind of making a speech, standing up to the and talking to the offense. Here's what he said, quote, it was kind of deja vu coming into that locker room again, all the yelling, all the screaming. Offense isn't playing well, blah, blah, blah. I just got up in front of the offense and said, listen, it's so easy for us to come in here and scream and yell and get mad and talk about what we are doing bad, but we just need to man up. And when the plays come our way, we need to make them, myself included. I'm not yelling at y'all. I'm honestly talking to myself right now, screaming at myself. And that's exactly what we went out and did. We started rough there. I threw a pick talking about the third quarter. And the plays came, and there wasn't one that we turned down. Those young guys, Deshaun, the O-line, Melvin was huge. Phillip was huge. Those guys came to play, and it was awesome to be the quarterback of this team today. And Zach, you know, he goes on. There's He talks a little bit more about what he, what he had to say there, but it was just what the doctor ordered. And we've been talking about worrying, like, where's the leadership from Locke? Like, we, we get it, the swag and the confidence. You know, that's very valuable and it can help lift your guys and provide confidence to other people, Zach. But at a certain point, you need Drew Locke. And and what's even, I think, more important in terms of the takeaway is Drew Locke stood up amid a game in which he was horrendous. He was, you know, half the reason, if not more, why the Broncos were in the hole they were in at halftime. 
And yet he took it upon himself to stand up. And so I think that shows you that he was willing to take the risk. I think it also shows you that, you know, he recognized what needed something needed to be said and needed to come from him. And it had a galvanizing effect, Zach. It really did. But you see it when he completed the game-winning touchdown pass, when he was cutting his little dance move, everyone came over and mobbed him. You see the camaraderie on this team. They're much more close-knit than people would have you believe. And Locke is their leader. Again, he's young. He's going through his struggles. It's not always pretty. They're going to lose more games. But he is their quarterback, and the team responds to him. You saw it last year when he was a rookie. Came in for that game and and for Brandon Allen, and the the offense looked completely different. Yesterday, when, when that light bulb flicked on for him in the second half. You you actually saw it happen. You saw a light bulb actually turn on over Drew Locke's head. When that happened, it was all him. And the quiet confidence and the demeanor and the swagger and the dancing, like Chad said, it's all fun and games and it's cute when they're winning, when they're losing, different story. But regardless, win or lose, he has the respect of the locker room. And I think he's finally finding himself. Again, he's a young quarterback. He has less than a full regular season of starting experience. He's finding himself as a person, as a player, as a quarterback, as a leader, as a friend. You grow into this. It's it's not you don't show up to McDonald's and start cooking burgers. It's a it's a much more complex position and job and it takes stages and it's a process. And Locke I think is learning Chad to finally trust that and himself. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. And he's growing into what it means to be a true leader on a, on a young team. And he's talked about it like his own insecurities from the time he was a rookie, kind of being in Joe Flacco's shadow to the point where he ends up being this, the, the starter in week 13 and, and beyond and kind of feeling like he has to take a backseat to the vets. And it was all true, but it shows you that, you know, it's, it's, there's no um, playbook. There's no manual. There's no blueprint right. for right. how a, quarterback goes about asserting himself as a leader it has to happen naturally and you, the it factor just has to be there and I think what we learned yesterday here in this story John go ahead and throw it back up we'll, we'll give some props to the queen of MHH is that Drew Locke does indeed have that it factor and it's just going to take more time on task to iron out the kinks Christy jumping in much love to you we call her the queen of MHH everybody knows why and she says great show glad to have a win and finally enjoy glad to see Drew be Drew Hope he keeps it going. Zach, this, in my opinion, like the the Houston game was great, but this was Drew Locke's signature win. All right. This was his signature. I think it was Philip Lindsay called it his a milestone for Drew Locke. Everyone recognizes it was an extremely meaningful game. Not, I mean, yes, like Christy said, it's great to get the win, but the fact that Drew Locke overcame that mountain of adversity and went on to, you know, throw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and just 
come out of their one nothing, you know, uh, Drew Locke one, Justin Herbert zero. I think this is the turning point for the Broncos. And it doesn't mean they're going to go on to be, you know, win every remaining game. That's not what I'm saying. But I think this is where you really start to see Drew Locke become Drew, the Drew Locke fans were expecting to see. Well, can I just address this real quick? I don't understand how this was so hard to grasp. No, I'm not comparing it. I'm saying it's not as easy as showing up and being a fry cook. No disrespect to fry cooks, but coming into being a quarterback of an NFL franchise, you don't just come in there and throw footballs. It's a leadership position. It's a growth position. You have to earn every snap on the field every day. I'm not saying they're comparable. I'm saying the opposite. It's complete antithesis of being a fry cook and being an NFL quarterback. That's my public service announcement for the day. But let me tell you something. There are still parallels, okay? I've worked in a kitchen, all right? I've worked in a fry cook situation. And if you have no experience, all right? When I was a young warthog, I had all kinds of, you know, side job opportunity, whatever, you know, try and make a buck. I've done that job. And, yeah, you know, even if you know how to slap a burger on a a hot surface and whatnot, you got to know the process. You got to know your technique. The point here, though, is if you're – I want to take it actually back to your first analogy, lack of breathing. All right. If you think about the mechanical process of breathing, it can actually kind of trip you out. All right. And think about that in terms of all the processes that have to work in unison for a quarterback like that's that third and 16 shot that he hits on to Jerry Judy that ends up going for 43 yards. Think of all the mechanical processes that have to work in a straight line. Boom, boom, boom. Check, check, check every box from his footwork to his arm motion to his vision to his read. All that stuff has to work in unison and in succession and sequence, Zach. And if you sit there thinking about it as a young quarterback, you're going to trip yourself up, and it does have to become instinctual, has to become second nature. You have to do it without a thought, and that's why I think scheming uh, Pat Shermer and putting him in the right position will allow him to go out there and just play with that instinct, just be himself, read the field, do his thing. There are ways to simplify it so that that comes out in the wash and to the surface quicker. Uh, first of all, Stephen, again, all fry cook lives matter. I, oh, yeah. I didn't mean to knock or denigrate anyone. I'm just making a comparison. And Charlie here kind of furthers that they have buzzers that tell them when the burgers are done. What Chad was saying is true. I, I hope you guys understand my analogy, but there's no manual. There's no set set of instructions for every – there's no template for being a quarterback in the NFL. It's a different situation for every different team and every different individual, and Locke is going through that process of being a leader on the field, off the field. He marched with them in the offseason. He's marching with them on the field. He's growing into the job. It's not just a hobby or a game. It's a job, and he's finding himself through that process is my point. Okay, off the fry cook stuff now. Yeah, let's get off it. All right, Bison M. Answering Mike a prior question from a previous stream, I asked him, is that you drumming in your profile pic on YouTube? He says, Chad, to answer your question, that is me drumming. I am a drummer in a metal band in Seattle called Sorcia. Is it Sorcia? 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 Check us out. Do you have any recordings of you that I can hear? Go Broncos. P.S. Pay Phil. Yeah, they're out there. Um, I would say uh, either send me an email Hit me up on Twitter on a DM or something, and and we can exchange some stuff. But yeah, there's there's stuff of of my former band. I I wasn't into uh, metal. I do like some metal. I was uh you know I came from punk rock and kind of skate punk from from the nineties. Raise your hand if you want Chad to do a little drum solo on air. <laughs> put a little emoji in there if you want to see that. I've been asking one him for days. months now. One of these days, we'll set like a goal or something. If we hit the goal as a community, you know, you'll see. I'll, I'll break out some drums. Um, but yeah, appreciate the super, by the way, Bison, and props to you. That's not easy being a drummer in a metal band. So I'll check out Sorcia. Sorcia? I'm, I'm guessing it's Sorcia. Jonathan, 
Chaverez jumping in. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you. John Elway said when he let go of John Fox, he believed the team stopped going down, swinging. Fangio, even with his mistakes, has done well, making sure the team keeps fighting. Love the pod. Thank you. Uh, what was the exact verbiage? Uh, yeah, the, they weren't going down swinging, but um, oh, there's a kicking and screaming. That's what it was. They weren't kicking and screaming. Thank you. Sorry for the the brain fart there. But yeah, Vic Fangio. I think you know there's been a, there have been a few blowouts in the Fangio era so far. I want to say, of course, I think all three Chiefs games up to this point have been right. blowouts. Legit blowouts. The the first or the second one last year was a little bit tighter, but it still was twenty three three. It was a three score destruction of the Denver Broncos in the snow. So I would say that he does have, and I think that's the defensive attention to detail guy. You know, death by inches. That does come out in the wash, Zach. And I do think that you could make an argument that Vic Fangio's teams, by and large, take it down to the wire. But there were too many of those games last year where, you know, they would, what was it, four games that they lost in the closing seconds where they lost right. the lead. Now, it's not like the Chargers blowing four uh, consecutive 16-point games or 16-point leads in four consecutive games, which is an NFL record. That's never happened before. It's not Losers. like that. But still, you know, Fangio, uh, I do think he is, you know, he's got the kicking and screaming thing down. Last year, I chalk it up to a first-time head coach at a young team finding their own ground. They lost a lot of winnable games, but this year, Chad, I've noticed in the Fangio era, even when they are getting blown out, which is rare, they're still playing hard. They're still playing to the whistle. They're still competing out there. And I compare this to Vance Joseph, and I know I get a lot of flack for this every time I mention his name, but when his teams were getting blown out, look at the Miami game in 2017. That was a no-show. They were waving the white flag for like three quarters in that game. You don't see that with Fangio. It's one thing I do appreciate about him as a head coach. He has his flaws. I've harped on them consistently. But one thing, his players play hard for 60 minutes every single game. I mean, Fangio's problem has just been offensive consistency. His defense does what they're supposed to do by and large. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but... They just need that offense to start clicking, and that's why if they can use this game as that launching point, man, sky's the limit for this team. They are not the New York Jets. Like I saw the power rankings. Uh, oh, was it? Uh, Might have been Sports Illustrated, the mothership, now that I think about it, but they had the Broncos ranked 29th out of 32 teams. I was like, you're just way off base. I know they just got blown out by the Chiefs, but they're not the 29th team in the league. And when the dust finally settles on this season, the Broncos might not end up 10 a 10-win team or an 11-win team, but they're sure as heck not going to be a t- number 29. Leroy brings up Tyree Cleveland. Appreciate you, Leroy. And it's also on the mind of uh, J.R. Caprone on, on Facebook. Shout out to our Facebook community. When are we going to see more Tyree on the field? Seems like they're wasting talent to an extent. You know, the Broncos have wide receiver, untapped potential, inexperience coming out their ears. You know, it's like, where do you invest the the, the game reps? Right now, you got to prioritize the the premium round guys with you know your Jerry Judy, your KJ Hamler. Plus, you're now you're working Albert O into the equation, game in and game out. Yeah. And you know maybe you would have expected to see Tyree a little bit more. I can check out what his snap count was here in just a second. But Zach, I think unless you know unless you had, I mean Tim was out yesterday. Patrick, uh, Deontay Spencer has been out now two weeks. He did get some reps, did Tyree Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double-check that. But unless something, knock on wood, were to happen to KJ or Deshaun, I just don't think in terms of the pecking order there's reason to get him on the field quite yet because you're taken away with from what you're d- developing and growing with those guys up to this point. 
it seems like Cleveland's on the Juwan Winfrey plan, where he's a kind of a highly touted, or at least a promising developmental prospect. He just gets no live reps. And I think it speaks to not really him, but just like Chad said, the, the glut of receivers they have on the roster, even with Tim Patrick out, even with Cortland Sutton out, they have guys stepping up like AJ Hamler, Jerry Judy. Uh, Tim Patrick coming back would mean less reps for Deshaun Hamilton, less reps for Hamilton means less reps for Tyree Cleveland. It's going to be a pecking order. I think he needs an injury to see the field more. Uh, he didn't scream to me on tape Cleveland like a Jerry Judy or a KJ Hamler, but I want to see what he can do in a Drew Lock offense. I like Tim Patrick more. I think he's more... Um, uh, consistent. I, I, the development to me of Hamler and Jerry Judy is more important than Cleveland. I, I still would like him to get a shot uh, going forward though, before the end of the year. And for what it's worth, he, he, I was wrong. I did see him on the field. We all saw him on the field on special teams. He did not play on offense. So, you know, I think uh, for now the Broncos are investing that those game reps, which are valuable into the guys they think can help them the most right now. And it just doesn't include Cleveland, although they do value him. It's just a different story. Zach, we're getting some pressure here to get to our winners and losers. So let's get this thing. Let's get this show started here. Winners and losers coming out of week 10. Let's we'll go through this uh, relatively rapid fire because I do want to get back to the stream here. This shows you the very bottom here. But I think first and foremost, as I put the article together, Drew Locke emerges as a winner. And yeah. I get it that it wasn't a full 60 minute uh, performance uh, replete with consistency. But the way that he turned the ship around in the face of such immense pressure, the boo birds in the stands, uh, you know, number one beat writer in Denver saying bench him, not just like tweeting, I wonder if it's going to happen, like openly advocating. If Drew Locke uh, does a, has a three and out in the third quarter, you got to pull and put in Brett Rippon. He overcame all that to not only ball out and play really well in the fourth quarter, but lead this team in the clutch to win the game, Zach, and create some mile high magic which has been absent for the last few you know last this year basically yeah if they would have won that game yesterday but based on the strength of the rushing attack let's say it would have been questionable to call him a winner considering how poor he did play the first half but that second half was a a different quarterback completely that second half was a lock we thought we were getting the Pat Shermer play call and we thought we were getting going to the season. So yeah, he showed the intangibles, the tangibles. We have talked about it to death already, Chad, but definitely for sure he was, if not the MVP, the co-MVP of this game as the quarterback. Another winner, very evident, Philip Lindsay. And again, it's questionable. We don't know why he only touched the ball six times. Maybe they were, you know, trying to be respectful and considerate of the fact that he's bouncing that just bounced out of uh, concussion protocol the day prior. But talk about getting some bang for your buck here, Zach. 83 yards on the ground, six touches, 55 yard touchdown uh, carry. And it averaged out to be just shy of 14 yards per clip. So again, he's a, he's a big winner. He's, he's sent the clear message. I mean, I've received a few DMs and texts and even a few phone calls from people out of market that are in the business in the NFL media world saying, what more does Pat Shermer quit wasting your so much time on, on Melvin Gordon. I'm the dude. I'm the stud. Hashtag pay Phil. Hashtag pay Phil. Hashtag pay Phil. What more does he have to do? And this is why, Chad said, and I said, going into the season, and even when the Broncos signed Melvin Gordon, you know what? You can count out Philip Lindsay. You can hate on him, but he will always emerge to the surface. The cream always rises to the top, and no Broncos player is creamier, Chad, than Philip <laughs> Lindsay. He needs a long-term contract. He needs no doubt RB1 status, but you know what? 
even if he doesn't get it, the contract or the title, he will show the Broncos he is that guy. He will prove them wrong. He will prove Melvin Gordon wrong. He will prove outside fans wrong. That's just who, who Philip Lindsay is, and you never count him out. He will always shine. For what it's worth, Bryce Callahan, of course, an obvious winner. For what it's worth, Vic Fangio, who's been there for every NFL snap Bryce Callahan has played since entering the league as a college free agent with the Bears back in 2015. He said that interception that he came up with in the end zone against the six foot four, 218 pound Mike Williams. Okay. And we're talking about Bryce Callahan, 5'9, 180, right? Wins that my ball situation, gets the pick. Fangio says that's the best play I've ever seen him make. That's his signature play as a pro. He ended up having just a phenomenal game, Zach. He he defended six passes. So he was targeted six times, relinquished one reception for a measly seven, eight yards, something like that. Pro Football Focus recognized him with a 90-something grade, which is elite. And then I went and looked at the rankings. For what it's worth, we have our uh, you know, our questions, let's just say, with regard to PFF grades, and they can come off as very arbitrary at times and questionable. But right now, you know, don't look twice here, but Bryce Callahan is the third highest graded corner in the league right now per PFF. He's playing at an all-pro level this year, and he's exceeded my expectations. Not only does he exist, Chad, he exists, and he's a very, very dynamic player. Far and away, the Broncos' best, most consistent cornerback, um, earning every penny of that contract. And you know what? $7 million a year for an elite slot cornerback? That is a massive bargain. And you know what? Callahan is proving, like I predicted, he is a monumental upgrade on Chris Harris Jr. in the slot. But he can play the boundary of the slot. He is just a dynamic cornerback. And for Fangio to say that, that's the best play he ever made he coached him in Chicago that means something this is a really good corner and I'm very happy the Broncos have him and his foot Chad is holding up indeed knock on wood also (laughs) you know he didn't get in the end zone did Jerry Judy Zach but it threw no fault of his own because he had his man dead to rights in that first half and Drew Locke just even though he was rolling out he just it came off his hand weird I don't know if it maybe even got tipped at the second level I wasn't sure on that first viewing there But Jerry Judy should have had a touchdown, didn't quite get there, but he still had a career-high 73 yards, led the team with 10 targets, four receptions. And with Tim Patrick out, the Broncos needed that first rounder to really step up, and he did that not only with his play on the field, but I think that the way he kind of is pushing Drew Locke, I think it's helping. I do think it's helping kind of bring – it's like a trial by fire for these two young players figuring out how to make it work in the league. And what was Judy's best play? That that fourth quarter, that long gainer where he showed off his speed, his footwork, his ball skills, and Drew Locke threw him open in stride. That's just a glimpse, guys, of the Locke to Judy connection. Industry leading, difference making, tomorrow shaping, world changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career, too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. 
Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. It's going to be around, hopefully, for a very long time. I'm going to include Kareem Jackson here, and I did in the written article, but, you know, I do worry he's going to hear from the league because he was, uh, let's just say he, it's the the criticism that I've heard from from people in the league this week, or today, I should say, is that he looked like he was out there headhunting in the fourth quarter. Uh, knocked out A.J. Bouye's own man, some friendly fire, laid a pretty serious hit on the running back, the Chargers running back Jackson there. Or excuse me, I think it was actually Pope. But nevertheless, he finished the game with 12 tackles, led the team, eight solo. He was that enforcer. And Zach, even though it did seem like he was pushing the envelope in the fourth quarter in terms of ethics, okay, it obviously had an effect on the Chargers. It did strike some fear into him. There was an intimidation factor there, and you can't discount that. You can't, and I like the the tone that he's setting, but when you hurt your team, literally you hurt your own player or you hurt your team with penalties, that's where it becomes egregious to me. That's where it becomes over the line. And also keep in mind, the more he headhunts opponents, opponents will start headhunting the Broncos. I don't want a player getting knocked out because Kareem Jackson wanted to stand over him and flex like TJ Ward and Edelman back in that game a couple years ago. I like the tone setter, but there's a limit to the tone setting that needs to be done in a game. Yes, indeed. And then we got Albert O. And, you know, what's crazy about Albert O, he was targeted technically three times. Officially, on the stat sheet, though, it's only one, and, and it was a nine-yard touchdown. But the reason I say technically is because he was targeted two other times, both of which, Zach, were monumental. One kept the chains moving on a third down on the final possession, and then the other one uh, kept the gave the Broncos the ball on the one-yard line because he drew the P.I. in the end zone. So Albert Okaway – Okawebunum, that's the way to say it. Not Okawebunum, Okawebunum. I got to remember that. Uh, came out, emerged Zach as a winner. And I just think, you know, you want to see that chemistry that he had, that Locke and Albert O have. I'd like to see that start matriculating a little bit, no advanced yeah. way, because yes. as much as I like Albert O, he's not the athlete. He's not the same explosive, smooth, just twitchy athlete that Noah Fant is. And so they're only really scratching the surface on what they could do with their two tight ends. So Locke's got to start trying to, you know, get that same mind meld going with with Noah. Chad, I'm laughing because did you happen to catch Greg Gumbel, the announcing team yesterday, try to pronounce his name? It was like uh, the catch is made by Albert Oku. Ah, forget it. it. They weren't even <laughs> attempting it anymore. So I was laughing to myself. Yeah. I, I do like, though, how after his drop filled you know, game a couple weeks ago, he dropped the touchdown. The Broncos went back to him. Locke went back to him. They have the faith in him. And he came down. That was not an easy catch. And for a raw rookie to have the awareness and the presence of mind to get his behind down in the end zone you saw a lot of Hernandez Gronkowski uh the pairing yesterday and when those two get going when Fant like you said Chad when his production matches Alberto's this is going to be a very hard offense to stop and then you keep in mind they're getting back Cortland Sutton next year you have all these pieces all this dynamicism and when it all comes together it's going to be so special let's grab the two Hambone brothers here in uh tandem because KJ Hamler you know he was relatively 
I wouldn't say he didn't make an impact because that speed kept the the Chargers on their toes a little bit. But he was only he was targeted three times, thirteen yards. But obviously catches the game winner, and it was a tough catch because it ended up kind of coming off schedule a little bit. And you know he was in the the shortened end zone, and he ended up getting his butt down, touchdown, game winner, first career NFL touchdown, and then. His mentor at Penn State, Deshaun Hamilton, had himself a game as well. I mean, yeah. you, you you want that blocking penalty back that – what was it, like a legal block above the waist? I can't even remember what the freaking penalty was. It was something uh, a little bit ridiculous, but he did step up big time as a receiver, led the team in receiving yards with 83, four receptions, plus that 40-yard touchdown. So the Ham brothers, Penn State showing up big time for the Broncos in Week 8. I'm encouraged also that Hamler emerged from that game, not only scoring the winning touchdown, but he didn't re-aggravate that hamstring. So he's he's healthy, he's catching his bearings now, and he's getting valuable experience. Deshaun, I'll eat some crow, some crow. Not all of it, I'll eat a little a wing of it. He did perform well yesterday. He led the team in receiving. Most of it came on a long gainer, but you want to see more of those plays. He was a fourth-round pick. He's trying to salvage his stock and his future with the Broncos. He's continuing that chemistry that he showed last year with Locke. If he can just be consistent and have a couple more games like this, I'll eat the breast. I'll eat the, you know, the thigh. I'm eating just a wing of crow for now on Deshaun Hamilton. You know, it was cool, I thought, of Drew Locke. And it's not the first time he's mentioned it, but as he was leaving the field uh, on Sunday, Broncos TV caught the uh, his exit, and he kind of chided fans right as, about he, as he was about to hit the tunnel. And, you know, they were supporting him and giving him props for the win. He said, hey, now, remember, don't boo too early. And then he walked into the tunnel, and you could tell he was miffed. Those boos did oh, yeah. piss him off. That was oh, part yeah. of what fueled him. But then as he's walking into the locker room, he's like giving credit to his receivers. And then the last thing he says as he walks through the door and it closes behind him is, Deshaun Hamilton basically, I'm paraphrasing, balled out. You know, he doesn't get enough credit. You guys are sleeping still on Deshaun Hamilton. So it's cool to see Hamilton get some props and some, yeah. some you know. Uh, and then we got Bradley Chubb, Malik Reed. I, I included as a duo here. Because once again, third straight game, they both ended up getting a sack. They're doing their thing. And I didn't even notice, to be honest with you, Zach, even though he did return and he did get snaps that Jeremiah Attachi was back in the saddle. Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb, they got something cooking. What does that say if you didn't notice him? It means Malik Reed is really balling out. And I want to just throw on there as an honorable mention, I, he's my guy, but Demarcus Walker had a, yeah. a great game yesterday. The defense played really well, but Demarcus Walker really stepped up. Uh, the front seven who will, except for a couple of losers who you see on the screen there, they mostly played well. The defense played well, but uh, Demarcus Walker, the outside linebackers, Denver might have something with Malik Reed. Not saying he's going to take Vaughn's job or, or Bradley Chubb's job, but he might be a long-term number three outside linebacker uh, for Vic Fangio and the Broncos. Absolutely. And one thing I want to mention about Demarcus Walker, since, since you did bring him up and he, you know, if you're going really deep diving on the winners and losers, he should, he and Draymond Jones each are deserving mm-hmm. of some props. Yes. But in the case of Walker, you know, he did get a nice timely sack on Justin Herbert that was wiped off by whatever it was, a defensive hold, some, some penalty in the second level of the defense wasn't his fault. He won the rep, got the sack and it was kind of a ticky tack call. If I recall, if I can remember right, but nevertheless, that's two games in a row, both he and Jones, since they've returned off IR, have played really well and given the Broncos a boost. The problem is, as run stuffers, they got to step it up because, you know, the the Chargers rattled off over 200 yards on the ground and they were missing Mike Purcell in a big, bad way where the Broncos, all right, four quick losers and we'll get right back to the stream. Obviously, Garrett Bowles jumps to the very top because 
you know, the the old recidivist, all right? That means repeat offender for those of you who uh, remember the movie Raising Arizona. Entered this game, Zach, as the top-rated offensive tackle in all of football. And then, I don't know, chalk it up to the absence of Mike Munchak. You and I are not big believers in coincidence. Mm -hmm. The fact that Mike Munchak was not on the field, I think, played a big role in his short-term regression in this game and going back to the to the three penalties that he was called. And then also the fact that he just doesn't have a, a, a upstanding tradition of playing well against Joey Bosa. And you'll notice that when Bosa exited the game, that also coincided, Zach, with the Broncos protecting and Drew Locke trusting his protection better and stepping up in the pocket and driving the ball and all that kind of came together. So Garrett Bowles, many steps forward so far up to this season, and you tip your cap to him, but then yesterday was three big steps back. Well, can I just say as an aside, it's so ridiculous that people are trying to downplay or diminish Drew Locke's performance because Joey Bosa came out of the game. The Broncos didn't have Von Miller. Everyone's lauding Justin Herbert for his performance. But yeah, you know, Garrett Bowles, this is why I was still tentative when we asked, we were asked the question, what do you do with him? Do you franchise tag him? Do you lock him down? I said maybe the Broncos should start having informal early negotiations on a long-term deal, if only to save some money. But this is the problem. If he's already kind of falling apart in a contract year, what's going to happen when you finally pay him? It could be a fluke. I think we'll know, though, Chad, the determining, you know, one way or the other, what Garrett Bowles is going to be after this game. Because this could be the thing that either sets him back to being the previous version, or he can overcome it and prove that he's the new Garrett Bowles. But far and away, he was one of the bigger losers from yesterday's game. There weren't many, but he was up there. I, I, I want to qualify this one with AJ and Josie because I listed them off of one viewing, okay? I, I felt like they really struggled getting off the block. They really struggled with their reads in terms of their run fits, filling the right holes and whatnot. But this could end up upon further review when you look at the tape and you really break down the, the coach's film. This could end up being more of a failure of the, of the defensive line than the off-ball linebackers. But nevertheless – I was not – I didn't think A.J. and Josie played very well. I listed them as losers, and, you know, A.J. Johnson finished with 10 tackles, and so did Josie Jewell. They both ended up with the tackles, Zach. But the problem was they were always a day late and a dollar short. They came in right. the second level instead of getting them either behind the, the line of scrimmage or stopped for a two, three-yard loss. I mean, again, the Chargers rushed for some serious yardage yesterday, and it came from three running backs that are no-name dudes. Yeah, a lot of it was the Mike, the loss of Mike Purcell, but this has been the common refrain. This is why they're not elite prospects. And I think Alexander Johnson had a better game than Josie Jewell. There was one, I can't remember if it was a pass or a run, but Josie Jewell was just caught so flat-footed and out of position. And he really is physically challenged, and his upside in the NFL is really capped. I think he's not even a number three. I think he's a number four inside linebacker. Um, I, it's It's nitpicky. In a game like that, when they come back and win, it's nitpicky when the defense played well. But yeah, you can see the breakdown in the run coverage. You can see the breakdown in the gap responsibility. To me, it's it's more Josie Jewell though than AJ. I'm not, you know, I'm just a bigger fan of of, of AJ than I am Josie. All right, some people picked uh, nits with Melvin Gordon getting listed here as a loser, <clears throat> but really, if you take away that final drive in which he stretched for the third down, what did he do for the team? Seriously, like what plays did he make when? The team needed it. It all came from Lindsay in terms of the backfield. He ended up with uh, 26 yards rushing, eight carries, a 3.25 yard average. I feel, and especially where it was supposed to be his revenge game, Zach, I was really disappointed by the overall performance. I don't yeah. think he ran well. His vision was so so. The burst, especially in comparison to Philip Lindsay, man, it like 
I mean, he almost makes it look like he's 90 years old out there in comparison to Philip Lindsay. Now, I don't want to take anything away from MG. You know, he's he's a bona fide former first rounder. The dude's a talented running back, but he's increasingly, especially now that Phillip's back, Zach, he's he's proving, or at least it appears to be increasingly here, that he is a very um overestimated running back. And I think the Broncos, you know, uh, overestimated his value monetarily. That's for dang sure. Yeah, to say it kindly. And I know a lot of Broncos fans are lauding him for that that clutch grab he had on the final drive. And it was a nice grab, but a lot of players can make that catch as well. And is that one catch worthy of $8 million? Is it worthy of not paying Phillip Lindsay more than 750000 Good running back, but it seems like he doesn't have enough wiggle. He doesn't make people miss. He goes down after four or five yards, goes down after first contact. He's really more of a pedestrian running back than a lot of Broncos fans want to admit. Yet you can't say that about Phillip Lindsay. You can call him injury prone. You can call him small. The one thing he is not is pedestrian. All right. We are at the one-hour mark, Zach, and we have quite a few supers we need to get to. So we love our superstars. We're not going to leave anyone out in the cold. Well, we got to mow through these relatively rapid fire, and we'll start with Chris, DO44. Love you, buddy. Appreciate it. He says, dude, our guards and center have been getting punished. Pressure up the middle is making Drew Locke think his house is haunted, talking about the seeing of ghosts, right? I don't disagree. I think they were a little bit better, at least in the second half yesterday, and Kenneth brings it up as well. Thank you for the super, Kenneth. Yes. Inner offensive line getting bulldozed. Locke had no pocket. So, yeah, it's. I'll be frank with you. Cushenberry has been a disappointment as a rookie. So has Reisner. Has not, he's not only failed to take the step forward, but he's apparently regressed. And then not having Graham Glasgow there at right guard, I think, did play a role here, Zach. But one thing I want to keep in everyone's mind, I know I said rapid fire, but the one position I've talked to a few people in the league when I said, you know, which with the, with the NFL teams losing 1,400 reps or so during the offseason, what are some of the positions that are most affected? And the guys I talked to, one of the – positions common denominators that everyone mentioned was center rookie centers okay any rookie that is a center being expected to start they're going to have their their growing pains you know what though when you mentioned Cushenberry, yeah he's been up and down but look at his boons on either side Dalton Reisner who's having a pretty crappy season I hate to say it and also Graham Glasgow who to me I don't want to say he was a bust signing, but I don't think he's been playing worthy of that contract. And in fact, Schlopman looked better than Glasgow did this season. I was actually impressed with him. So Cushenberry doesn't have the advantage of having a Zach Martin on his right side. He doesn't have an all-pro left guard. It's tough. It's He's the quarterback of the O-line. He has more responsibility than any other guy next to him. It's a process. I'm not worried about Cushenberry. I'm worried about Glasgow. Because even when he was on the field, Chad, he was, he was a seat. You know, he was letting pressure up. Almost every now. Let's grab Ridge Stimson. Appreciate you, Ridge. Good to see you in a couple of streams in a row. And supporting the cause means a lot to us, my friend. He says, do you guys see Baker Mayfield similarities with Locke? Just curious on the take on that take because Baker has the confidence as well, and he really isn't good. You know, Baker has surprised me. I think obviously the turnover at the coaching level has really hurt him. But, no, I think the only thing you can really draw in, in parallel is just that kind of swag they have on the field even if things don't appear to be going their way they're you know showing some swag like drew lock started doing and granted it was more subdued versions but dancing when he throws the first td to, to albert or and and you're like well you still got two touchdowns to overcome dog like not going overboard with it but quietly celebrating and that's the only cele- uh a similarity or parallel i could really see to be honest with you zach 
Yeah, I mean, here's the difference. When I watch Baker Mayfield, uh, I see someone trying to come off cool and trying to come off cocky and trying to come off with a lot of swag. When I watch Drew Locke, I watch a guy just having fun. I watch a guy who loves Jeezy, who loves dancing on the field. He just plays with more sincerity, I feel like. I really can't explain it. He just plays with more, you know, more genuine, I think, as a person, as a personality. I think he's a better leader, Drew Locke. I think he's a... How do I say this? I think he's a better pocket passer than Baker Mayfield because Baker is way more erratic than a lot of fans realize. And for all his talent and all his pedigree and all his hype and the weapons he had in Cleveland, he hasn't really produced. You haven't gotten the wins. You haven't gotten the success. In the short little bit we've had Drew Locke under center, you've had victories. You've had success. You've had growth. And I would take Locke as my quarterback. He just comes off like a more genuine leader to me, more sincere. I want that guy in my huddle, not Baker Mayfield. Tom El Greco, appreciate you jumping back in again, my friend. He says, I'm glad to see Locke taking leadership. The O-line will do anything to protect him. I agree with that, by the way. They love Drew Locke. It's yeah. a big statement of him stepping up. A lot of respect. Thanks, guys. Yes, indeed, Zach. That's the thing. I, I, I'm glad you said that, Tom. I don't think Baker Mayfield's guys love him like the Broncos guys love Drew Locke. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't cover the Browns. I don't watch a lot of their games, but I, I don't really see them mobbing uh, Baker Mayfield like they mobbed Drew Locke. So I want that guy they rally behind, not the guy they tolerate because he was a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, we sent Carl Dumbler. Everyone knows Carl from Building the Broncos. We sent Carl to the 2018 Senior Bowl, MHH. Um, you know, he went and covered it for us and – did a great job. And he said that, you know, Baker, if you guys can remember, those of you who are draft Knicks, he was late getting there. And because he had a problem with his, his mother was ill and stuff. So he was late getting there and everyone was anticipating the arrival of Baker Mayfield. And he, and Carl said that when he arrived, man, all the players from the players to the coaches, to all the media, it was all eyes on Baker. And then players started copying every little thing that he would do in terms of like just little mannerisms and things and like just falling in line. But Zach, I think it's starting to ring hollow because you know, you think, oh, Drew Locke, you know, ups and downs. Well, Baker's basically been a starter now three years in a row, and you're right. not seeing that growth and development. Let's grab Ridge here. Appreciate you again, Ridge. He says Locke needs more air height on his deep throws also. Yeah, it just I have been impressed with Locke's deep ball accuracy with the exception of that game against the Patriots. And the problem was his, his receivers were out of sync that day. No one was catching them. Four touchdowns dropped. Yeah, I can exonerate him for the Patriots game, but he missed Judy down the sideline, and that's a perfect example. He needed to loft that, put more air under it, not just throw a line drive you know, down the sideline. And also the Judy pass in the end zone. If he threw with anticipation and just lofted a little more, it would have been a touchdown. I agree with that comment, but again, that's teachable. What you cannot teach is what Locke pulled off yesterday, so it's encouraging. Smith Corona jumping in. Appreciate you, my friend. Another Thank you. Another couple of days in a row. We really appreciate your support, my friend. He says, reading Chargers fans' reactions online to Locke's goofiness and dancing after the Hamler touchdown was music to my ears, LOL. Let's just say it upset them slightly. <laughs> Love you guys. Yeah, and that's part of it, man. Like, you get under the skin when you celebrate. Like, even Drew Locke's Buzz Lightyear thing against the Texans when they were rolling, man, it gets to them. And, yeah, you know, against a divisional foe, that could come back to haunt you. They could – you know, could only intensify the the divisional rivalry and hatred, but that's what football is all about, baby. 
What I like, though, is Locke didn't go crazy, you know, splitting no. and busting dance moves on the field. It was a very subtle, you know, shoulder pop. And it was a very subtle dance move. It's a quiet swagger that Drew Locke has. He He's very respectful of the game, his opponents, his teammates. But he still has that cocky factor that you want to have in a quarterback. And it did ruffle the Chargers. You saw on the game-winning extra point, Chad, that little scuffle they had. That was frustration. On the, on the behalf of the Chargers because the young quarterback, not named Justin Herbert, the quarterback named Drew Locke, just beat them. Yep. Jeff C., appreciate you, my friend. Talk about a consistent superstar. He says, do we win with Bosa out in the third quarter? That's a good question. You know, it's a, it's a what a shoulda coulda, uh, ifs and nuts, candies and whatever, all that stuff. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. It's hard to say, but he was out. Do the Chargers right. get out for the lead that they were uh, that they had? If you have Von Miller on the field, or if Cortland Sutton's, a, right. you know, you just play with the guys that you have. But it definitely helped the Broncos. You know, it did help them. There's no denying that. You never apologize for any win, no matter the circumstance, no matter the score, no matter what. You, a win is a win is a win. The Chargers have their own injuries. The Broncos, uh, they're exhibit A in feeling sorry for themselves when it comes to injuries. If they can beat them uh, without their players, they can't really complain about not having Joey Bosa in the second half. At least you had him for the first half. They can't say the same for Sutton, Von Miller, Jarrell Casey. I mean, down down the freaking list, Chad. Justin Martin jumping in. Thank you, Justin. And by the way, each and every one of you awesome superstars, make sure you are connected with Zach and I on Twitter because we love shouting you out on Twitter after each and every episode. So if you have a Twitter account, connect with us. And if you don't have a Twitter account, so many of our superstars have just said, you know what, we want to participate in that. We want to keep the conversation going. I'm going to go create a Twitter account. Do so if you haven't. Justin Martin, appreciate you. He says, I always loved when we had Peyton Manning and we would go no huddle. It would get the defense tired and allow us to keep playing fast and efficient. Yeah, there's there's there are some advantages there. You saw them in the fourth quarter, but but it also has some some disadvantages. And I think the problem for Pat Shermer and Mike Shula is they got to figure out how to balance that and walk the line. But the the key here, Zach, is tempo and getting lock in a rhythm early. And it doesn't work with every quarterback. I mean, you know, no huddle and playing fast. It doesn't work for an Alex Smith. It doesn't work for a Case Keenum. It works for a Drew Lock and. Hopefully, you know, my hope is Pat Shermer, the light finally went on. He re- he's realizing what plays work, what style of play works, and keep with that and keep finding success. Antonio Aragon, good to see you in the stream again, my friend. Love you. Thank you, He says, happy to see Pat Shermer attacking the middle of the field. Giving yes. lot confidence on easy completions can make a huge difference. Hashtag Broncos country. Well said, my friend. And it was good, too. Again, like I don't want to completely take away the onus on Locke because – he was a night and day quarterback in terms of trusting his protection in, in the second half. And that really allowed him to throw with power and precision and velocity, set his feet and deliver. It's just amazing and very maddening. It took until week eight for a coordinator to throw toward the middle of the field to call plays that have middle of the field and taking advantage of your talent there. I've been screaming for it for weeks now, and it's no coincidence as to what you saw yesterday when they finally played a lock strengths. The Jerry Judy pass I keep mentioning, that exemplifies why you should keep attacking in the middle of the field. They should not get off that mindset, Chad. Dustin Martin, again, appreciate you, my dog. He says, I think emphasizing more of a fast-paced offense will help lock in the entire offense get going at an elite level. I think that is one of the keys, Justin. You're right. You know, they got to figure out the tempo and, and uh, that obviously helped lock get into a rhythm. 
If you slow the game down, you're doing him a disservice. Let him play loose. Let him play fast. Let him, let him have fun out there, and you'll see success. And then and HHH555, I don't know what the meaning there is of the handle, but appreciate the support. That's two days in a row. Love you. Appreciate you. Welcome. He says, what's up, fellas? Victory Monday, indeed. And I hope Broncos country really soaked this one in because it was a sweet, sweet victory, man. It really yeah. was. It's nice to have a victory Monday for once, Dad. Yes, it is. It is. All right. We got Jonathan. We got Alex. We got Steve, uh, who just said, by the way, thank you for the super. Talk about a longtime listener, bona fide superstar. He's up there on the MHH Mount Rushmore. He says, Vaughn just said that he hopes to be back in three weeks to a month. Mm, very interesting. That's good to uh, good to hear. I know the boot came off last week, and um, you know I wouldn't hold him to that. That's in a best-case scenario. Yeah. We always knew that December was a chance. You had a chance at December, but it all comes down, Zach, to the Broncos being relevant. Right, exactly, yeah. I, I still don't see it happening. They would have to be in the thick of playoff contention. They have to ask themselves, is playing Vaughn less than 100% and risking aggravation or risking something worse in order to get a win here? And if they can answer that question, yes, he will play. I Gun to my head, though, I don't think he plays this year. They're not going to risk his value. They're not going to risk his, his, his uh, talent, his ability. I think we haven't seen Vaughn until 2021. Muhammad jumping in, superstar. Love you, buddy. He says, I can't imagine being a Broncos fan without your shows. Ah, dude, hitting us in the fields. He says, thanks for everything you do for Broncos fans. Hashtag CEO, hashtag dragon, hashtag beast. Giving the Buana beast his props as well. We really do appreciate that, my friend. We also uh, have to go back and grab one from Jonathan, who uh, jumped in as well, that the stream jumped you. He says, hey, guys, one more time. Top three players you pay this year, Phil, Sims, Simmons, Bowles. Yeah, I mean – what what order though, Zach? How do you prioritize that? Because oh, knowing that you got God. Phil on an RFA tender, whereas the other two are unrestricted. Well, I mean, in order of importance, a left tackle takes precedent over a running back or safety. So if we're getting the Garrett Bowles of the first seven weeks, I'm probably paying him first, not to break the bank. I would give Lindsay his due, not just because he's, you know, he's has a year left after next year. He's earned it. What more does the guy have to do? Just show him some goodwill and show him that the locker room they'll take care of their own players. Let me just add though, maybe not Justin Simmons. Let me let me swap him out for Shelby Harris. And I think he's more impactful. I think he's more suited for this this defense consistently week in and week out. He makes plays around the football. I'm a big fan of his. You invest in the defensive line. You might lose Jarrell Casey next year. Draymond Jones is still developing. Shelby Harris, to me, is my guy for now over Simmons. And you know what? With with regard to Phil, <clears throat> I agree that even though in terms of what you have to do, it pales in comparison urgency-wise because he's not an unrestricted free agent, but it wouldn't take the moving of mountains. I mean, look what the hmm. Chargers did. Uh, for uh, oh man, I'm having a hard time with my name recall here. The running back Austin Eckler, all right, six seven million bucks, something like that per year. You could do that and significantly give Phil and make it a two or three year extension because you know running back shelf life is relatively short. That's all it would take, and I think he'd be happy. You know, even at that, he'd be stoked. Alex Rosario jumping in, last super here, Zach, and then we'll dip on out for tonight. Appreciate you, Alex. Thank you. And uh, not a name we recognize on super chat, so thanks and welcome. welcome. Make sure you reach out and connect with us on Twitter, my friend. He says, big fan out in Massachusetts. Great content, fellas. I feel like that O-line has slowed down some of Locke's progress a bit. Has to be a primary focus in 2021. You know, it's been a factor, but, um, you know, the biggest problem for me, Zach, it's, again, the Lloyd Cushenberry thing, it's explainable. 
All right, it's understandable because of the lack of offseason. The biggest concern to me is Dalton Reisner, dude. And then, of course, right tackle moving into the future. But DeMar Dotson's been solid. He's had a few lapses and a penalty here or there. But in the future, you don't know what you have there. Biggest concern to me is what the heck's going on with Dalton? He was looking like a perennial Pro Bowl stud to come, and he just hasn't been that guy this year. And for all those reasons, Chad, that you just named, that's why you have to invest. I agree with the comment. Even though Juwan James next year is under contract or so, we we never really know what's going on with him. Uh, assuming they even sign Garrett Bowles, they have their line set. DeMar Dotson's not a, a long-term uh, right tackle. I would draft a lineman regardless of what happens with Bowles this offseason. You have to stock the cupboard so you're not forced in August to sign a right tackle off the scrap heap, try to save your season. If they want to build around Drew Locke, they took every other step, the coaching, the receivers, the running backs. Next is the offensive line. I agree with Alex. No matter what, you draft and stock the O-line. It's a priority in 2021. All right, guys, before we dip on out of here, I want to say thank you to Glenn Hauser. Everyone knows Glenn, superstar. He's got his own podcast going as well. But really appreciate the five-star review. If you want to do something organic that helps this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate the support and love, Glenn, all the little things that you and so many of our great listeners do. It all adds up and it all contributes to the success of this show and to the channel, to the po- all the podcasts. And so we really appreciate that, my friend. It really does mean a lot. But, guys, we got to dip on out of here for tonight. Zach, uh, we're off tomorrow, but this community can look forward to yet another Building the Broncos podcast, and I'm sure they'll have a lot to discuss. I don't know if they'll go through their stock up, stock down, what they're going to break down for you, but I'm sure it'll be a great pod. So you guys make sure you ride with them tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Mountain, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. And then in the meantime, connect with Zach and I on social media. Keep the conversation going. First and foremost on Twitter, the pod itself, at HuddleUpPod and then the main account at Mile High Huddle. After you have those two, follow us here individually, Zach Kelberman at Kelberman NFL, myself at Chad and Jensen, and then our producer, John Cronenberg on Twitter. He goes by at John, that's J-O-N-K-K-A-Y-M-H-H. A great fan follow for all of you out there. Very uh, lots, of, lots of fun stuff that he finds on Twitter to keep you informed and, and engaged. Yep. So make sure you follow him. And then also just a gentle reminder, guys, to uh, to uh, check out the merch store if you're in a position to. We appreciate it. And before you dip on out of here, don't forget to like. And again, if we did a good job for you here tonight, share this video out there. It helps us in so many ways organically grow and reach new listeners. So, Zach, have a great start to your week, my friend. It's a victory Monday. Tomorrow's a victory Tuesday. The Broncos will be back in the saddle Wednesday. And uh, by the time we return Wednesday, we can start turning our attention to Atlanta Uh, and week nine to a very beatable team and the Broncos right now Chad are two games out of the last wild card spot in the AFC and you have a beatable Falcons team coming up you have a Broncos team that the offense might have finally took fire you have the defense playing at a high level things got very interesting this season and I want to see how the team comes out and responds in practice this week so I'll look forward to talking to you then appreciate the super chat Carlos love y'all Laco es chingon it all adds up and it all makes a difference and it's always great having you in the stream my brother. So thank you. And shout out to all our great Facebook listeners and community members. Maurice, good to see you, my dog. Uh, Michael, appreciate it. Trevor and all of you really means a lot to us. A mile high salute to our super chat superstars and our Facebook official supporters. We'll catch you guys on the flip flop on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll see you then. 
You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.